When it comes to weight loss, no two people are the same. That's why Noom builds personalized plans based on your unique psychology and biology. Take Brittany. After years of unsustainable diets, Noom helped her lose 20 pounds and keep it off. I was definitely in a yo-yo cycle for years of just losing weight, gaining weight, and it was exhausting. And Stephanie. She's a former D1 athlete who knew she couldn't out-train her diet, and she lost 38 pounds. My relationship to food before Noom was never consistent. And Evan, he can't stand salads, but he still lost 50 pounds with Noom. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. Even through the pickiness, Noom taught me that building better habits builds a healthier lifestyle. I'm not doing this to get to a number. I'm doing this to feel better. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom users compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Hey, everyone. Today I had on Jonathan Charts of TheRinger.com. You can find all of his draft insight at nbadraft.theringer.com. It's really insightful stuff. Um, it's really easy to use. Great interface where you can either skim prospects, kind of get a deep dive, or just you know casual read on everyone. It's a really great website. I encourage everyone to check it out, as well as listen to the following pod uh, where Jonathan Charts kind of breaks down different prospects in the NBA draft and how that relates to the Toronto Raptors. Come on, Jonathan Charts of The Ringer. Um, Charts, how you doing? I'm good. How you doing, man? Oh, pretty good. You know, all things considered, uh, seeing as how the Raptors season ended this year. I feel like what happened makes it look so much worse. So the Cavs are going to seven games against the Pacers and the Celtics, and the Raptors couldn't get one? Yeah, I think it's really tough to watch the Cavaliers struggle this bad. I think They're not very good. <laughs> it's. I think a lot of Raptors fans kind of convinced themselves that, oh, well, the Rap- the Cavs just found the proverbial switch, and that was the reason that we lost, and, you know, LeBron just went supernova. But then watching them struggle this badly, you see that, yeah, that team's not good, and it's more on us than you want to admit. Yeah, I mean, to me, that's why I'd fire Casey. Like, I, I feel like it, it, the case makes itself. I feel like that's whatever. I mean, it, it doesn't matter now, but I feel like this really shows why they fired him. Yeah, um... I totally agree. I mean, he got outcoached pretty handily by Lou in a series, and Lou's the guy who just referenced he couldn't get Corver into the game because Semi-Ogilvy wasn't on the court. I'm going to defend Ty with that. I think there was a, a point he's making there. I don't think Corver can guard their top seven players. Yeah, I, I, I get it to a point, but I don't know. When JR is playing as poorly as he is, you, I think you just kind of have to trade the takeoff of Corver's poor defense because – I don't know. I think you had. Yeah, but that's but I think that's why the Cavs will lose this series is Corver, and he killed the Raptors last round. Yeah, and just it's bad. Yeah, overall bad. Um, but we have you on here to talk about the draft. Um, first off, with the Raptors, they don't have a first or a second right now. The first um, being traded in order to get rid of Damari Con- Carroll's contract. 
Um, what do you think the chances are that Toronto kind of gets into the first round here? Into the first, I don't know. I'm, I'm sure they can buy a second-round pick, though. It's getting more expensive every year. Like, the Warriors have gotten so much ahead of buying picks. You'll probably got to spend the full $3 million to get a pick. Yeah, and I think it, possibly it makes sense for the Raptors because that's kind of money you can spend tax-free or you can spend without going into the cap. Um, any money you spend on players, you know, you risk going into the cap. So that you can spend the $3 million. It doesn't count towards your cap hit, um, towards the luxury tax, and you get a cheap player. Yeah, I mean, they draft so well, too. You might have to take advantage of that. Yeah, um, with Masai's track record at the bottom of the first you would think that they would try to do something um, regarding that. But, you know, it it's hard to get into the first, and I think it would probably take a little bit more than Raptors fans would like to admit to get to the bottom first for a guy that's, you know, a question mark, obviously. I mean, you'd have to give up one of the young players, whether it's Wright or Van Vliet or I don't know. They have a lot of good young players. It's a tough ask. They're not going to give you a first for nothing, that's for sure. Yeah, so you, do you risk giving away a good young player like Wright, who you know is good for a guy who could end up fizzling out of the league in a couple of years? It's kind of tough. I guess it's about money. They'll have to pay you Wright pretty soon. But I wouldn't trade Wright for a first pick. I'd pay him. Yeah, I think I think Wright's good. Um, I think he's worth an extension. He's versatile enough and kind of a new modern guard of the NBA um, and you know a little bit better offensively than people want to give him credit. Is there anyone in this draft that you think kind of sticks out to you and you'd be like, wow, that guy is a perfect fit for the Raptors? I mean, I don't know. Like, the Raptors are such a deep, balanced team. There's going to be good players. It comes in a matter of, like, what pools you're looking for. Like, they've got so many good players. I guess could he play making bigs? It, maybe you hope Siakam can – okay, I'll give you a name, John T. Porter. I love that guy's game. If he's available in the early second, he's still in this draft. I'd jump on that in a second. Do you think he's going to come out? There's some rumors that he might head back to school. I mean, I, he probably should if he's not going to get a first-round bomber. He's very, very talented. He's just – people don't – they forget he's how young he is. He reclassified to be uh, – move up the year. This year, I still play with his older brother, Michael, in Missouri. So he went to Missouri. He played in a very big front court. How much, how much guard play around him. And he's a little overweight, out of shape, and he needs to cut cut down his body fat. So he's he's got a lot. I think he has a lot of promise. A couple of years away, he might go back to school. I, I, mean, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, he wouldn't be the first guy I think that's gotten into the NBA and totally reshaped his body. Um, you know, it's different when you're doing it full time as a career as opposed to being, like you said, a young guy who reclassifies into a freshman class. Yeah, him and Jaron Jackson, Jackson, which is, I think, one reason they're such intriguing players. But it's not really a Raptors concern, obviously. Yeah, it's def- definitely going to be tough for the Raptors to get a guy like Porter, um, who's kind of, I think, rising up the draft, but at the same time might not come out. Um, as we look at the top of the draft, um, the Suns have been rumored right now for DeAndre Ayton. Um, I know that you are, I think, is it fair to say, pretty heavily in the Luka Doncic uh, grouping, would you... Yeah, uh, I, I love Luka. I love his game. He's great. So, um, I guess, why do you think that they're kind of enthralled or going to pick with DeAndre to eight? And I know it's early, and obviously there's a lot of smoke screens out, nothing's for sure, but why do you think Aiton is kind of rising so high? I mean, I think if you just look at him, 
Like, he's the biggest player in the draft. He's one of the fastest players in the draft. He's really skilled. Like, the talent is just obvious. It's hard not to watch eight. Like, man, he's going to be a star. I mean, I get it. But to me, like, I don't even mind passing on Luca because there are concerns that are fair. But to me, I like, if you're going to do that, you better take Jared Jackson. To me, he's the best big in this draft. And, like, so I think it's fine to pass on Luca, but if you pass on Jaron Jackson, man, he's going to be very, he's going to be very disappointed. Yeah, you have Jaron Jackson as two, which I I think most people probably have him slated at four. Um, it's kind of the general consensus. Why do you like him so much? Just the defense and shooting there. Everything. I mean, like he has the things I most value in a big man. He's a great shooter. He's a great defender. He's a team defender. He protects the rim. He switches on screens. He can guard all five positions. And I think he has more offensive upside than people realize. People think he's like Serge Ibaka, but he's got way more game than that. Like he's got dribble moves. He's got post moves. He was just, he's, A, he's very young. He He's a year younger than most of these other guys. B, he was on a very poorly coached team last year that was not very well constructed. He was like the fourth option on that team. I think that was more because of team dynamics and his actual ability level. I think he's really going to surprise people. Like, this guy, I mean, I think Serge is his floor. Like, his, his feeling is unreal. I, I just love his game. Yeah, it was weird. You watched um, you watched Izzo play him at the power forward, and I just couldn't disagree more with kind of – I just don't think that's his position. And I understand that he has some roster limitations and the, the college game is different, but it just felt weird to watch him at power forward for a large percentage yeah, of Yeah, and then the worst part. So you get into a tournament, they're playing a team in the 2-3 zone, and they play Jackson at the 4, Bridges at the 3. It's like these guys can shoot and pass. You're going to want to put the 2-3 zone. And then he plays two big men beside Jackson together. Like Izzo was like – he wasn't actively shaving points. He was totally lost his basketball. Like I, I hate to trash all Famer, but I'll do it. I don't care. It was a bad year for him. Yeah, you know, I mean, it, you can be a Hall of Famer. That doesn't mean you made the right decision and certainly not the right lineup choices this season. Um, as you kind of talk about Bridges and he's what you want in a modern big man, what I've noticed is guys like Mo Bamba so high. I, If you watch kind of these series between the Cavaliers, the Warriors, the Rockets, um, and even the Celtics, it's all at the perimeter. And I guess my question for you is, why is Bamba rated so high when I'm not totally sure that he's going to be able to stay on the court in the conference finals? Yeah, I mean, I'm not a huge Mo guy, but I have a talent there. He's got some Gobert's game, obviously. He's crazy wingspan. I think the other thing, too, with Mo, he's a, like, off the court, he's fantastic. He's a great interview. He's super mature. Really, really high character guy. I mean... It's easy to fall in love with what he could be, because maybe he can shoot threes eventually, maybe, and then he's got he's so freaking big. But yeah, I think with the way the league is going, I wouldn't take him top five. That's for sure. Yeah, I guess that I didn't mean to have that come off at Mo Obama specifically. I, it's more the idea of there's just seems to be a lot of big men high on this draft, and I wonder why we aren't focusing more on the guys like the Miles Bridges, the Michael Bridges, and those kind of guys. Um, I think part of it is, like, it's easier. It's like, I think a lot of times wings and guards, they kind of pop later. Bigs at, like, 18, 19, it's obvious who the good bigs are. The biggest, fastest, like, there's more separation. I think sometimes it takes guards and wings longer. And the bigs, they seem safer, even though they actually aren't, but they seem safer because, like, okay, this guy's huge, he can play, and he scores, blah, blah, blah. That's how it used to be. I mean, it's tough, but... the paradigm is changing. It's 
we're still changing the way things teams are thinking about players. Yeah, it it feels like a couple like they're slower to react to the curve, I think, and these teams kind of stuck in what they've done. Um, but that's a good point about big guys kind of popping earlier. You see guys like Paul George, Jimmy Butler kind of develop out of nowhere, and it it's not to say it doesn't happen for big men, but I don't think you see it quite as often. Yeah, I just think because, like, it's such overwhelming physical dominance at lower levels. It's hard not to be drawn to that. Where it's like a wing, you kind of fall the game. Like, a big can be going at 50% and just crush college teams. So it's like, oh, man, this guy's going to be a star. But, like, a wing sometimes, if he's on 50% of his potential, he's just kind of a guy, and it doesn't seem quite as obvious. That's what makes the draft so hard, man. And <laughs> yeah. also, let's not forget, these teams are drafting the top of the league for a reason. They weren't very good. They have been yeah. good for a while, most of them. Yeah, that, that's a good point. And like you said, I mean, you see a big who puts up 24 points right away. It's not quite as exciting or quite as easy to spot a defensive wing who's played hard and kind of hit his open shots. It doesn't, like you said, pop off the screen at you. Um, I kind of think in each class, there's usually a tier of guys that are a little bit better than the others um, as far as kind of the safer picks. And obviously it varies draft by draft. Where do you kind of think that cutoff of the top guys are in this class? I mean, there's different tiers. It feels like you've got your top two, three, four guys, you know, Aiden, Jackson, Luca, maybe Bagley if you want to be generous. And then you've got all the rest of the bigs, the bridges, I guess you like 10, 11. And there's kind of a bigger pool to like 20. And there's a more, those guys like Bonnie Walker, Zaire Smith, uh, Shagles Alexander, Kevin Knox. But after 20, it's totally wide open. You can go a thousand different ways. Right, yeah. I think once you get past 20, you start to see a couple more foreign prospects, um, a couple more chances on guys and things like that. Um, What are some of the wings, kind of, as we talked about how the game is changing and the league needs more wings, what are some of the wings that you like in this class that you think that guy could develop into a really solid rotation piece? kind of later in the draft, in the 20 to teen ranges? Um, a couple guys I'm interested in, I think big body defensive wings. You got Josh Akogi at Georgia Tech, Raleigh Elkins at Arizona. They just got, they got NBA frames, NBA athletic ability. I think, um, I think they're pretty smart players too. They have decent jumpers. It's just like, they're not stars. And so it's hard to be like, oh man, it's, because like it's, it's very easy to fall on this thing, like, oh, it wasn't a star in college, and how good is it going to be the NBA? Because a lot of like NBA specialists were stars in college, and so there seems to be like a feeling for how high they're going to go. But I really, I really like Alkins and Akogi as kind of early second-round guys who could surprise people with their abilities. Yeah, Okogi is a guy I think it's interesting. He wasn't, at least I would say by fans, obviously he played at Georgia Tech, not a very good program. He wasn't very well known, and it feels like he's kind of just arrived on the scene. Um, yeah, I mean, like, they were terrible this year. He was, like, the leading scorer on a bad team, and never on TV. It's hard to see much things to talk about him during the season. But then he comes to the combine, it's like, man, this guy's got a great frame. He's got some reasonable skills. I mean, the guy's freaking got barrel chested, crazy long arms. He's built. Right. It's him, and I think another guy that everybody seems to be jumping on is Zaire Smith. Um, well, he's been jumped on. Yeah, he's way above them. At his yeah, team. yeah, he understandably. But he, it, it looks like he kind of, it feels like he had a great combine himself. Um, 
Well, he didn't measure that well. I mean, he, people were hoping oh. he'd be like 6'4", 6'5". He's like 6'2", 6'3". That's unfortunate. Cause he's not really a two-guard yet in terms of skills. He played the four Texas Tech at like 6'2". <laughs> but, like, he plays during his size because, like, I think arguably Zaire is the best athlete in basketball, period. Just, like, pure athletic ability, any level of the game. So I think it'll be okay for him. Wow. that I mean, I guess that's something to say. The best athlete well, I mean, overall. Think- if you think about it, like, the best athletes are going to be 19, 20, 21. Like, yeah. Pure athleticism, not, like, skill, obviously. Yeah, that's that's a good point. Um, obviously, your skill set improves as you get older, but the most the bounciest guys in the league are usually that 20, 21-year-old range. Um, yeah. Speaking of uh, kind of different guys that you have different from the consensus, I guess Jonte Porter is one. You said you love his game. Um partially due to how young he is and everything like that. Um, is there anyone else? I noticed Colin Sexton is a little bit lower on your board than most people. Um, can you kind of go into yeah, why I just that think, is? I just think Sexton, um, his style of play, the ball-dominant guard, not an elite athlete, good athlete. To me, like, he's a ball-dominant point guard, and, like, he has to have the ball in his hands, but I'm not sure he's good enough in the NBA to justify that. Like, I'm kind of off ball-dominant point guards. I feel like there's a ceiling for if you're six feet one, you have to have the ball all the time. I feel like there's a ceiling for how good you're going to be in the NBA, and then your team gives your team a ceiling. Like I think Sexton is probably a better player than some of the guys I have above him. I just think integrating him with team concept the NBA is going to be difficult. If you watch Alabama, he just had the ball the whole game and just attacked him constantly, and there's value in that. But I just I'm not sure what term I give him the keys to my offense either. Yeah, I think that's one thing when you're drafting a team, you kind of want to build a team that has your ideals as a basketball person in mind. And if you draft guys who are kind of ball-dominant guards, then you're kind of locked into that style of play. So whether... Yeah, I mean, they, if, I mean, like, ball-dominant guards is great. You better be awesome. I don't think he's awesome, so it's not, not a package. Yeah, I mean, that makes totally, totally makes sense. If you want to be someone to dribble the ball, you better be that Russell Westbrook kind of guy that keeps a defense on you at all points. Um, yeah. Is there anybody else that you kind of either really think highly of compared to others or kind of are not as sold on? I mean, I don't know. That's a broad question. I don't know. Sure. I mean, like, we, did, we did like a ranking. There's a lot of guys. It's all, they all, it's all jumbled together in the mind at this point. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Um, <clears throat> if you were drafting kind of at the top of the draft and – you got an offer for one. What would it take for you to trade out of that pick if you were the Phoenix Suns? Uh, I mean, Carl Anthony Towns, I'd do that. Yeah. If, well. I could get, like, if I could get a young all-star and a rookie contract, I think that would be... Because, like, I, obviously Kawhi's amazing, but Kawhi's going to be free next year, so it's hard to trade for him, which is going to be for sure locked in. Why would I do that? Yeah. So to I, me, it's like a young... A rookie, a young all-star, a rookie contract. That'd be the the the, the minimum I'd want. Do you do you think there's any truth to them saying that they're open to trading it, or is that just kind of boilerplate talk? Yeah, I mean, just all you're always open to it. You know, it just you never want to dismiss anything, right? It doesn't mean anything either. I don't think. Yeah, I mean that's certainly a good point. I think you have to stay open to everything, but. I'm not sure that they're actively looking to trade it. Um, 
as we look um, kind of at the draft, are there any guys, you know, John Day Porter talked about going back to school. Are there any guys that you think are significant prospects in this year's class that might return to school other than John Tay? Yeah, Vivian uh, Chenzo might go back. He's an interesting player. He was he was coming off the bench this year. He had that great national title game. I think he has an interesting skill set, but he never started in college. So it stands to reason if he went back to school and started and was a, a big-time scorer next year, he'd move up. I think he could go back to school. I'm not sure if he will or not, but it's possible. How much do you think the title game helped him? Do you think that he was this highly on people's radars before that, or was that more of a fans noticed him? But scouts have always been on him. It's it's a weird thing. Like I, I mean, scouts have been on him for a while. People know about his talent, but like if like if you were a scout and you know, I like Dante's game, but he's not he's still not this big national title. It's like I know he's that good, but everybody else knows he's good. But now it's like once he had this big game, his profile is just raised. So like oh now he's not going to be much of a scooper. Like I think cause a lot of it too. It's like how, what your reputation is kind of terms of your draft positioning. Like if Don, like Dante's the same player if Villanova loses in the third round, but we're just not talking about him as much. There's less buzz about him, so he's not going to go as high as a draft. I think he's the same guy. It's just like getting your name out there. It's a lot of you know, it's just perception. Yeah, so you, it's kind of funny. It's almost like if you were a Dante guy before the national championship, it kind of works against you because now it raises his profile and makes him less of a value. Oh, totally, totally. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, I mean, funny enough to hear that you would be upset to have one of your favorite prospects play great in the national championship game. Um, obviously, everyone kind of knows about Luca. What are some of the other top foreign prospects in this draft? Uh, it's kind of weak after him. I mean, there's Musa. I got to watch this guy at Kobo. I've not watched him yet, but people like him a lot. I don't know anything about him, but he's getting a lot of good buzz. So I'm going to check him out for the finals probably. And then Musa. 6'9", uh, score. He's just got a lot of red flags. A lot of the European people are kind of off him. He's just got, he's got back issues, but he's got talent. He's 6'9", he can score and shoot it. So, in a lot of that come to interviews. He's got a lot of negative kind of off-the-court stuff hanging over him right now. But he's definitely talented. Okay. And then another guy, kind of, not a foreign prospect, but not also a college prospect. What are your thoughts on Mitchell Robinson? Tough, man. Like, it's a lot like him and Simmons are the same, Anthony Simmons. Like, a seven-foot rim-running center, is obviously there's value to that, but he hasn't played in a year. And, like, the big question mark about him was his just feel for the game and skill level. So has he been working on that? He needed the reps of playing basketball. And mm-hmm. So then it's like, well, how high is his ceiling? He's an unskilled big man these days, you know? So how, how, how much are you going to gamble on a guy with a low ceiling and a really low floor? He has talent, but it feels like he had been more coveted five, ten years ago than he is than he's going to be now. And there's just so many red flags with him. It's yeah. hard to say. Like he just didn't play. He didn't play in a year. Yeah, and those kind of feel things that you talk about, those are the kind of things you can really get best from in-action games and watching a player. You know, you can't tell that as well from a workout as you can from watching them totally. play so rep after He's rep. just not going to be. And he didn't play in the combine either, which is a huge like, come on. It's like, why are y'all hiding this guy or something? Because we're not playing five on five. Like, he hasn't played five on five in a competitive setting in over a year. Yeah. And he already had a lot of question marks about his skill level, so it's tough. Yeah, I I think 
if you're him, how are you not feasting at, or at least thinking about the opportunity of this is all you have had to prepare for? How are you not ready for the combine and ready to play five? Well, it's not his decision. It's his people's decision. It's his agent. Yeah. Um, that tells you more about what his agent is thinking, really. Like, oh, man, he doesn't have much faith in his player. Yeah, I, I guess that's even more of a red flag, the fact that your agent doesn't want you out there in front of everyone. Um and also, I think those kind of rim-running centers, you can find some of those guys on the free agent market for a little bit cheaper than you think. I mean, look at Dwayne Dedman. Didn't get a monster contract. I was just going to say, Dedman is a perfect example. You can get New Orleans for pennies this year. I mean, they're guys that are available. Yeah, I mean, if I'm going to take a risk on a big man who maybe doesn't play as well uh, through feeling the game and but is athletic and can rim-run What's the difference between Nerlens Noel and you know him? And I don't have to spend a first round pick or probably a high second, but he might be a late first. He might have been the promise. It's hard to say, but yeah, it's exactly the case. And Nerlens has been in the league five, six years now, and so hopefully, yeah. It's, I have a gamble guy at twenty three than at eighteen. Yeah. I, so as a Mavs fan, what what are your thoughts on Nerlens? I guess not to go on a tangent, but um, it was he was in a tough spot. So, Carlisle had never clicked. Carlisle wants his big men to really um, play within a very specific, limited role. And Nerlens wanted to prove he's worth a max contract. So there's a lot of friction there. I mean, I, I think he's worth a flyer in the right system with the right coach. I, don't, I think he'll stick in the league somewhere. I don't, I don't think he's, like, a bad player or anything. It was a tough situation. Yeah. That's, it's just tough. Like, it's so much a situational. A young big like that. Carlisle's not a great coach for a young big, which worries me about this draft. If they draft a young raw big, how will he deal with that? I don't know. It, it, I, I felt bad for Carlisle this season. It felt like the losses really were heavy on him more than they would be for other coaches. Yeah, he's pretty tightly wound. He's pretty, uh, he's not a very laid back guy. <laughs> no, certainly not. And having to watch Dennis Smith Jr., who I think is a really talented player. And I think has a high upside, but I mean, you just saw, like any rookie, just you're not going to be very good with a rookie point guard. And I think it was tough for him you're to watch not, yeah. those mistakes. Yeah, I mean, if you draft a rookie point guard really high, that's going to be like Colin Sexton. You give Colin Sexton the keys to your team, you're going to be bad for three, four years. And it's a, as the, what's the line is like, is the juice worth a squeeze? I don't know. It's tough. It better be. Oh, so otherwise you'd Alfred Payton all over again. <laughs> Counterpoint. If you want to keep drafting high and continue to tank, you take Colin Sexton. Therefore, he makes your team better in the long run. Well, here's the thing. You want to keep drafting high. Eventually, <laughs> someone else is going to make those draft picks. Right? Uh, yeah. got fired. Yeah, that's true. For all the success that you want to – people give Sam Hinkie, he's not reaping the benefits. So, Right? You know, if you're a GM, your first job is to keep your job. Yeah, and then you can trade all your picks and – go get Blake Griffin in order to keep it. Um, anyways, um, I think that's kind of wrapping up on the time that we had for you, Charks. Um, thank you for having coming on. It was great to have you and kind of help everybody out with the draft. Yeah, no problem. Have a good one, man. Thank you. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. 
Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.